Welcome to the Table Dallas podcast. At the Table Dallas, we create a sacred space to worship, connecting our stories with the story of God as revealed in scriptures. We invite you now to listen to this week's discussion. All right, welcome everyone to the table. We're glad that you're here, whether you're joining us live here at the beautiful Mill Street House with a, a brand new configuration, a lot more room, breathing about here. We got some more getting ready to happen. And, and if you're not with us live, you're joining us via podcast. We're glad that you're doing that wherever you are around the world as we, we continue our summer journey with Luke in the Gospels, in his Gospel, and we're in chapter 16. And we had just introduced this idea that... Uh, uh, stories, we use stories in our modern world to, to communicate a lot of things, to make points, sometimes to deflect, to pass on oral traditions, a number of other things that were suggested around the tables. But one thing that we all agreed in is that we typically do not tell stories to be less clear. And yet we cannot say the same thing about Jesus. And in our text this morning in Luke 16, we're in one of those situations where we're like, hmm, maybe we're going to have to really put our collective brain power together as we enter the dance. We talk about the dance at the table, right? We've got the scripture that's alive, uh, living and alive. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have our tradition and we have our experiences. And it's kind of a dance that we do together to try to figure out exactly what it is that we're supposed to take from that test. So let's see if we can make some sense of um, what we're going to read by focusing in on the behavior of the characters. That's our, our take today. The behavior of the two main characters and then looking at Jesus, the teacher, why he would do that. So we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to read it a couple of times. Oh, hand goes up. I like that. I just, well, I had a question because when we're talking about the, the story or parable being right. unclear, is that a result of our Western interpretation, would it have been more clear to the audience that he was speaking to? That's a great question. What do you guys think? Is a lot of this to do with the fact that we're not in that culture? And so, um, as we've said before, the most important things in a culture often go unsaid. And so, because we're not necessarily as fluent in that culture as we are in our own, could that be part of the reason? What do you guys think? I think that's 80% yes and 20% Jesus okay. just likes making people think. Okay, good. Oh, the disciples were all the time coming up to him saying, wait, what did you say? So even they didn't understand sometimes. Maybe it's a, could it be a both end? Yes. Yeah, I mean, some of it is like, you know, cultural, not understanding. And, and once we put that piece in, like, we go, oh, that makes a lot more sense. If you've been with us on Thursday nights, we've done the Unseen Realm for, we did 16 weeks in the Unseen Realm, right? And now we're going, oh, this makes this text make a whole lot more sense. But he's yeah. trying to make them think a different way. Correct. So, I mean, it is going to be unclear just by definition of they are being forced to approach things differently. That's true. Yeah. But it gets even a little more challenging because Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel, he's quoted several times as saying, I speak in parables and riddles. Sometimes it's translated riddles. So that some will not understand. That's hard. Go ahead. Well, for, for a setup, anyway, th this is going to be uh, back in their honor-shame culture. Yes. It's also going to be, it, it's a very um, agricultural type yeah. Agrarian. setup, uh -huh. as opposed to like us going to our boss and <clears throat> pulling some of this stuff in, in our technical or technological or 
whatever kind of work. Right. But, so we, we can kind of think down that road. That's helpful. Um, and one thing, I'll give you this, because and it was a great segue for me to, to give you this. One piece of the background that we probably need to make sure that we understand, um, just before we read it, is, okay, so in uh, Jewish culture, it by law, it is not permissible to charge interest for a loan. No interest, okay? To, to the brothers. Now, they can charge interest. Foreigners, but to themselves, amongst themselves, there's no interest. So what would happen is part of the system would be that when you were a manager, which is what we're going to be talking about, part of your job was the boss would say, I need X amount for this crop or this thing, right? And whatever you happen to get above that, you know, for you and for your, for your efforts or whatever belongs to you. And, and so that was considered an acceptable practice, right? That you would... You would negotiate with the people, and you would you would know what your boss needed for the price, and then if you could get more, all the more power for you. That needs to be in the back of our mind as we read this, I think, or else we'll go down all of these weird paths because of um, um, you know just kind of where that thing goes. All right, so put that in the back of your mind that charging interest and paying for all of this was built in to the cost. Right? I'm not charging you interest. I'm just charging you a higher front-end price to accomplish this. I mean, once you have a law and your design is to get around it, you can get super creative. And by the way, that still happens today in third-world countries and places where it's a cash society and you don't have you know loans and all that kind of stuff. It happens today where you just negotiate a price that's higher and it's going to take you some time to pay it off. It's not interest. Because if you're, same thing is true in the Muslim culture, you can't charge interest. So you figure out a way around it, and you, you make it happen. All right? So remember now, we're going to be reading, and this will be the challenge. We're going to be reading it a couple of times at least, probably at least two. But when we focus, we're going to focus on one character at a time in their actions. Make sense? Because I think that will help us. All right? So Luke chapter 16, somebody read from the CEB 1 through 9. 1 through 9. And we're, remember now... This first reading, we're focusing exclusively on the actions of the manager. The steward, in some older translations, ours says household manager, so we're going to use that word manager. All right? One through nine. Jesus also said to the disciples, a certain rich man heard that his household manager was wasting his estate. He called the manager in and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give me a report of your administration because you can no longer serve as my manager. The household manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is firing me as his manager? I'm not strong enough to dig and too proud to beg. I, I know what I'll do, do so that when I'm removed from my management position, people will welcome me into their houses. One by one, the manager sent for each person who owed his master money. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager said to him, take your contract, sit down quickly, and write 450 gallons. Then the manager said to another, how much do you owe? He said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. He said, take your contract and write 800. The master commended the, the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. People who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are, than are people who belong to the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into the internal homes. 
clear as just as <laughs> obvious as we can say. All right. So again, we're going to take it one person's perspective at a time, and I know it's going to be challenging because we want to. We're used to looking at it a little bit different way, but let's just focus in now, right now, on the actions of the manager. So the parable gives certain rich man. That's Jesus's favorite way of starting a story, right? <laughs> a certain rich man, just like there's this guy. All right. Um, who heard that his household manager was wasting his estate. So let's start there. What do you think it means to, in that culture, remember what we just set up, what do you think it means to waste your manager's estate? What do we think? Lose money. Okay, lose money. How so? Just if the manager's in charge of the estate, he's supposed to grow profits, grow crops, sell them for profit, stuff like that. So if he's not doing that, he's wasting the estate. Or if he's not using fields to their you know, best use. Or so bottom line is less, less things come in, less money for the guy who is a certain rich man. Okay, good. What else? Sometimes in the rest of the parable, that rich man's called the master. So we talk about master, manager, master, manager, that's what we're doing. All right. So what other? Go ahead. Skim a little off the top. Yeah. So he's maybe he's skimming a little more than he ought to off the top, right? So he's not same, but it's the same basic idea, right? The manager, I'm sorry, the the master, the certain rich man isn't getting what he should, or at least in his perspective, is that he should be getting, right? What else? What do you think means to waste your master's estate? Possibly not, just not running it efficiently. If you don't do things at a timely manner, then there's a cascade of things not being well, just well run, and then things are wasted. Right. Crops go unpicked. Yeah, crops spoil, you wait too long, and then your your hay can't dry, your olives fall to the ground, all of that. So it could be, maybe a word would be lazy. It's okay. (laughs) That's fine. Uh, Lazy? Not not working hard enough? Okay. Anything else? Could it also be it's, it's the reputation of the estate as well? Because as his manager, he is representing his yes. master. Yes. And so in the way that he's conducting business, it may not necessarily be appropriate for the, the, the respect that he should deserve. But, and, it's not, and that's exactly right. But we don't know. It could be any or all of those things. That's the interesting <laughs> thing about the beginning of the text. It doesn't tell us, right? I was thinking he could be almost an absentee manager. Or he's not around to run. But I love the fact that Jesus just kind of leaves it like open-ended. We don't know what, what's exactly happening. So the owner calls the manager in and says, what is this I've heard about you wasting my estate? And then he asks for, basically he asks for a report on his way out. Uh, you're fired, right? We're, we're pretty clear that's what's happened to him. So what are you thinking and feeling if you're the manager? If you're the manager now, we're focused on the manager. What are you thinking and feeling? The manager, the the the, the master, just calls you and says, "Come, come to my office. I want to have a conversation with you. I want to have a chat with you." He says, "What is this that I've heard about this? Give me a report. You're fired." Well, in this culture, be shamed. All right. So there's a sense of potentially of shame. Okay. What else? Thinking, who is it that you heard it from? Isn't it interesting, right? So. The master says, I heard. How different is that than I've experienced? Like, 
the implication is that, at least at the beginning, and we'll get this deeper when we talk about the master, right, is that this is not something that he picked up on, but that was brought to him, all right? So you're feeling like, all right, who? I, I think when, what we said earlier about, like, reputation, like the reputation of the estate, I don't think the master can tolerate having a manager that has that reputation because it reflects poorly on him. So whether it's true or not, I think it, it might just be a thing. It doesn't matter whether he was wasting the estate or not. The perception that he is, is enough to doom him for that job. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yes. So he's feeling, uh, maybe he has some questions. He's feeling potentially shamed. Anything else he's feeling? Anger. Anger, potentially why? Firing me on the say so of somebody else. So that presupposes he believes that he is unjustly, unjustly, you know. So if we feel that way, he's like, oh, wait, who told you that? Like, I'm not guilty. So you have two ways of thinking. Like, I'm either not guilty of that, so you have a set of feelings and stuff that goes along with it, or he's like, oh crap, I got caught. Right. So if I'm getting blamed for it, I might as well embrace it and do it. <laughs> it. It's open to interpretation as we work our way through, right? And that's why I asked you a question about what are some of the things going through your mind? Well, a lot of it depends upon whether you yourself are guilty of what is being said or, remember, you're in a culture where, you know, you're, you're the middleman representing the, the interests of the, the property manager who owns all the land. And these are the, the sharecroppers, if you will, right? Who are, who are camped on his land, who are working it, and they have to give a portion of it back. That's the whole olive oil and all of that stuff, right? And so you could be, you're, you're, you could make, you could probably make some friends, but you could also make some enemies and, as that middleman, depending upon how you act. And I'm gonna say there's, given the subsequent test, text, there's a degree of fear there, because he's like, what am I gonna do now? He's scared. Good. Scared, that's a good one, fear. And once, once one master fires you, who's going to hire you? Yeah, so you've got that reputation, you've got all of that, right? Well, what, I, what I'm wondering is, his, one fear that he did not have was, I'm going to get my thrown in jail. Right, now notice there's nothing about that. There's no, nothing about... Um, not like a punishment. A punishment for it, which might indicate something. We'll talk about that. Remind me to talk about that when we get to the master, because that might be something we talk about in that influence. So after receiving news of his impending dismissal, the manager says to himself, I like that, asks himself, what am I going to do now? So that's at least one thing for sure he's thinking about. I got to figure out how I'm going to survive, right? Because when you're the household manager, everything is tied to it. You don't have a place to live. You don't have income. You have nothing, right? So he's talking to himself, and in his self-talk, in answering that question, it's interesting. He says, uh, what does he mean, do you think, when he claims that he's too, not strong enough to dig and too proud to beg? So what's he saying to himself? Because he's speaking to himself. He's, he's like weak physically, like he's not a laborer. Older. I think okay. he's older. Yeah. So the one way to read it is I'm weak, I, I've not had to work out in the, in the fields, I'm old, all of that. Okay, that's could possible. Be, could be uh, ill, something wrong with his health. Could be. I'm not, I'm not going to work and earn it myself, and I'm not going to beg for it. Like, yeah, it could be as bad as, well, I'm not going to have to do any work. 
Because I've been used to just being the manager, everybody else do the work. That's possible reading of it. Well, yeah, one thing that I'm hearing from this is like when an owner hires his son as a manager or something like that, and just straight out, yeah, straight out of high school or something like that, and puts him in charge of other people, doesn't know how to manage anybody, takes just gets it by himself, the and then finally when he gets kicked out, he's like, well. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do anything. That's an interesting point that you make and tied with the idea that there aren't any charges might bring in the possibility it's family member. Possible, right? That it's a, it's a, that it's a family member, that it could be someone in extended family, which is why he treats them this way instead of having them hauled off or whatever else and have him be accountable for what he's done. Good. Anything else? Really, he only just says you can no longer serve me. Yeah, that's a pretty light sentence. Yeah, it feels it feels kind of nice, like a nice way to do it. So, what impact is? Oh, by the way, what's too proud to beg all about? Well, I think a piece of it is like as a manager, you're kind of like the person's chief of staff. There's a level of status that comes with that. Right. And it's like, okay, I've achieved this status. I'm now overqualified for any of these other lower jobs. So I can't go back there. No one's going to hire me for that because this is what my skill level is at. But now no one wants to hire me for the job that I've had because people think I'm dishonest. But if I'm ever going to get another position, the current position I'm in, if I take a lower position, it changes that possibility. Right. So we have to remember in this culture, that status piece of being a manager and then suddenly either being a worker or begging is even lower, right? So he's like, I can't work. Whether you mean like I have too much status to be out there in the field, or as you said, like you know, the, the whoever hires me thinks that I'm going to take the next opportunity to go back to what I'm qualified for, so they wouldn't hire you. Or worse yet, I'm I'm not going to beg. I'm too proud to beg, so I've got to come up with another plan. So that's really what influences his actions, right? He knows he can't do this working thing for whatever the reason is, and he's too proud to beg. So that all influences now what he does next. He comes up with a plan. Go ahead. I was just wondering, would revenge be any part of that as well, and not just self-preservation? Uh, we could see. Let's take a look and see how he does it. So look at. Let's look at his um, his plan. So how would you summarize his his plan here as to how he's going to deal with the fact that he can no longer. He's not capable in his mind of working, but he's also too proud to pay. He calls in people who owe his master something and renegotiates. It sounds like he's renegotiating their contracts for less. Okay. To make himself look good. Well, they'll owe him. <clears throat> Interesting. One says to make him look good. Look good for who? Not with the master. No. no right? No. Of course, that would assume that the master knows what he's expected to get, which we don't know that yet. We don't know if the master heard that he was supposed to have 9,000 liters or whatever, and he's only going to get whatever. Okay, But certainly, he's trying to curry favor, do you think, with his boss? No. 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 He's trying to land somewhere else. But as a boss... A potential hire, I wouldn't hire him because he's cutting. Do you think he's viewing these other people as a potential worker, uh, as a potential somebody to hire him? Yeah, because he just saved him half the money that they owed. But how would they hire him? They They're not a rich man. They would. I, I think 
going back to our earlier discussion about how he was allowed to negotiate whatever, as long as the master got what he wanted, anything over that would be his. So if he negotiated a lower price, that means more is his. More goes to all right. Well, so he's put together a little nest egg to kind of. Or he's just bringing the master back down to what he. Yeah. He's taking he's taking that profit off the master. Okay, you take this away from me. Right. So if you see his actions as revenge, if you see his actions as revenge, you see it as an act against his boss. If you see it as self-preservation. You might read it a little different way, right? Go ahead. So we can assume that the master knows nothing about what is owed to him, correct? He doesn't know the specific He number. probably would not be, he would probably not know, oh, this guy owes me 9,000, what was it, 9,000? 900, 900, 900, 900 gallons. 900 gallons of olive oil. Yeah. The he just knows that he's got a guy there that's, that's dealing with his olive trees and he should be getting some money. Exactly. So that's why the manager is able to renegotiate the contracts because the master is not going to know specifically how much he's supposed to be getting. That was all the manager's job in the first place was handling all that. So what do you think the motivation is? How many of you think the motivation is somehow I'm going to give it, I'm going to stick it to my boss, the one who fired me? Anybody? I think that's most of it. Right. Reading it within the whole, knowing the whole story we read or just at this just, point? Just at this point. I, I think I think it's because he knows his boss really well. Like nobody else right now is going to know that he is fired. So that's why he's calling in one by one before they find out about. And him. they are the ones that get to rewrite their tickets. So uh, who's going to snitch on who then? But I think he he knows his boss good enough that his boss isn't going to make a whole big Which makes us happen. think it's maybe family. Because in family, you would not want to embarrass and bring shame on the family. You'd want to kind of hide it like twice. You also wouldn't want to bring shame on, on yourself because everybody's going to, hey, look, yep. he's so great. He yep. just lowered my Is there Is there a blackmail that. element to it? Blackmail. Like, hey, I just cut what you owed the master in half. Now, what are you going to give me to stay quiet about that? I do feel like there's some ally gaining elements. But that's why I think it's because he let them write the bill. Yeah. He's not involved. He's like, let them. And by the way, that's how you would write your contracts. The the person who was 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 in in a relationship with with a with a with a master would write their own terms. And to this day, it's the same thing, because if you've written it in your own handwriting, you can't come back and say, oh, that's not what I agreed to. So this is completely consistent with, so I would probably say the blackmail is probably not the best interpretation. It's more of a family thing, I think. We get this idea of it's family, so they're trying to keep it down. He doesn't want to beg, because that would bring shame upon him and ultimately his family. Same thing with working in the field. So he says, how can I salvage this situation and make it so that I have an opportunity to survive, right? So I think that you have this motivation either one way or the other. It's either I'm going to stick it to them, or it's I got to figure out how to survive. So the motivation is either I'm going to take some from my boss, or I'm going to make sure that I curry favor with those who I might have to go to later on and still be in a relationship with, all right? And by currying favor with them, 
by lowering their bill, he's also currying favor with them and the master because they're going to have favorable feelings towards the master because they just got their Correct. debt cut in half. Everybody so wins. Everybody wins except it's the master who doesn't know. But that the master still wins. Yeah. Potentially. So, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. But yes, because I know this is hard to do it with like, okay, just one in mind. But we'll get back to that, I promise you. Right. He can also use that to change perception. So when he, at the beginning, when he said that he heard he heard something about them, now when he's lowering their bill, it's changing their perception about the way he's stewarding the master's things. They're like, why didn't you do this before? Yeah. Why? Why are you waiting? To, but they don't know that he's been. They don't know he's been fired. So from their perspective, he's now doing a great job. So now he has these people that can go back. To the master right. and say, "Oh, he's doing a great job." All right, so let's pause for a second and identify. There is a white, a giant elephant, not a white elephant, a giant elephant. White elephant, something different. There's a giant elephant here in this room, right? In a, in the West, we call the manager's actions what? In the West, no, no. I mean, legally, we call it fraud. Fraud. That is flat up fraud. You get somebody to write something that you're paying this much when in reality they're doing. I mean, this is this is classic fraud. Like this is this is not legal behavior. Okay, in our culture, you have a contract. You don't get to go back and rewrite the contract more favorably and not tell the other party. Right. But in that culture, understand in this culture, this is all part of what's happening on. Now we need to be careful not to skim too quickly and allow this labeling. Um, to assume some things of the text, right? We can assume, it's easy for us to assume that the steward or the manager is dishonest, right? Because of the way it's labeled and the fact that the manager comes to him and says, what is this I hear of you wasting my estate? So we can automatically assume he's guilty. You know, what if he's too proud to beg, not in the sense of sitting on a corner, but to beg the master to give him his job back yep. or one of those things, because if he was a family member. Yep. And so then now he's trying to save face so that yep. he might be able to get his position back. I think you're 100% spot on. This honor-shame piece plays a huge part. And you have to read under the text to say, I really do believe this is family. Because of the way that Jesus sets it up and the way everybody's acting, it's like, we want to keep it hush-hush. But we have to save face. I like that. We have to save face. I now, I don't get how that saves face by by defrauding the master. But I, but going back to the original comment, it may not be defrauding the master because lowering it to four fifty may have still been what right. the master was doing. So Correct. the master's not losing anything. Right. That's what we have to understand here. So because there's no agreed upon number, it's not like the, the manager, I'm sorry, the master was knew he was getting 900 gallons. He's he's going to get something. Now, if he said, what do you owe? And he said 900, say, write zero. Now we're having a different conversation, right? So now we're talking about something different. He's maneuvering, right? To, and I say save face himself, too proud to beg, to go back to his map, all this kind of stuff. But be careful here. Notice that the parable doesn't tell us that the steward is dishonest because of what he does. All right? There's nothing that says he's dishonest in there. That's the word that, that we potentially overlay. Now, he may be, but the text doesn't tell us that. It doesn't come out and say anywhere before those actions. We can assume because he did that, okay, well, he's guilty, so he's just going to do the next dirty deed to cover the mistakes he made before. But the text doesn't tell us that. All it says is that the manager, the, the master heard that this was happening. 
That doesn't mean he was guilty of it. He just heard that. Okay. So um, just remember that in the back of our mind, he doesn't, he's not automatically guilty just because of the way that it was set up at the beginning of the parable. Everybody clear on that? Mm-hmm. All right, so now let's go ahead and um, focus now on the actions of the master, okay? So early on in the story, the master appears to charge his manager with wasting his estate, but it doesn't seem like he gives him a chance to respond, Mm -hmm. right? So what does this tell us about the state of mind of the master? Does it tell us anything at all, Brian? Does it give you some idea about the mindset of the master when he doesn't seem to give him any chance to respond? He just says, this is what I've heard. Give me your reports, you're fired. It seemed to imply that this was probably not the, the main cause, but the spark. <laughs> this was the final straw, if you will, that broke yeah. the camel's back, using that enough. Okay. It almost feels not, not bipolar, I don't have the right word for it, but you've been stealing from me, you're fired. Oh, I really like how you handled that. I appreciate that. Or, you know, that was a really good, you know. So yeah, so you kind of have this, yeah, at the front end, it's like no chance for an explanation or anything else. But then he commends him. And we'll get to that in just a minute, right? So he commends him. That's interesting. What else does it tell us about the state of mind of the master? Anything? It could indicate wishy-washiness, and it could indicate black and white. I'm this way or that way. Nothing in between. Or... I don't know which way I'm gonna. Whichever way the wind blows me, I'm gonna. I got off. Yeah. It seems like a, a lost trust. Like I feel like it really hinges on trust. Of whatever just happened or whatever I just heard, I can no longer trust your word. Trust. A loss of trust. I like that identification. But with whom? Is it purely trust between the master and the manager, no. or is there a chance that that trust is master and? All the, people you the people that are part, it could be both and, right? He could have lost the trust and felt like, I have no choice. There's enough people who feel this way, even if it's not true. Okay, but I might be reading into this wrong, but going back to the whole, it's a family thing. What if the master lets the uh, manager go because he wanted him to be his own person, like be your own businessman? And the fact that he's making these extra deals and still... Both of them are profiting from this. He's commending him on the fact that, you know what? You did learn something under my care okay. for a while. That's not, that's I also not. read it as it's like not personal. Well, I mean, kind of is personal, but like I have to fire you because I have to save face. And now you have theoretically righted the wrong that potentially happened. And so good for you that you've done that before. What kind of resolve that issue? What if the master's saying he's wasted his estate because he doesn't feel like he's uh, been crafty enough or pulled in enough income and mm. stuff to where then now the manager's behaving kind of like the master would expect him or would desire him to behave? Right. Would you guys have done something differently if you were in the position of the master? Oh, I would have canned his. Huh? <laughs> so you would have believed that he was guilty of the action. I would have taken his whole family. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, for me, I, I have to have more proof than somebody coming up and you know saying you want to know what I heard, yeah. kind, of, kind of thing. But really, the master is is being he, he's he's being very. 
assigned to yeah. the steward. Right. And the steward is not taking advantage, well, maybe taking advantage of it. You know, he knows he knows the master good enough that he knows that he's not going to get dropped into for what he's done, jail right. or, right. or killed or right. whatever like that. Well, he wasn't fired right away. Well, give me a report, so you need to go back and give me all the details I need to know for the next guy coming in, but you're fired. So there is that sense of, yeah, normally, he's not being escorted off the property, if you will. Who's telling me about that at school? <laughs> a teacher just hired, like a day into it, they're like, oh, we're going to have to escort you out. There's something here you didn't tell us about, right? So there's not that sense, right? He's let, he lets him, he gives him a, a parachute, if you will, right, to, to not stick him out on the street. Would you do anything else differently? Well, to me, he's embarrassed too because he hasn't kept enough kind enough reins on his business. Because really, even though he's the master, he should know what's going on underneath him to some degree. Yeah, well, that's definitely a Western thought. Yeah. From a Western is the master saving face also? I think I think there's a, a sense in which he that's that's got to be motivating him in an honor shame culture. That's a huge play, right? But like, if you were, say, like an accountant and like found out that you were skimming money off the top, you would be like, "Oh, here, go in and take all of the accounts and like recheck everything before you leave." No, like you would be immediately fired. Right. That's a very Western. Yeah. Right. You would be escorted out of the building. You wouldn't have a chance to cook the books. Right. It's essentially what he's done. Right. Cooking the books is what we would say. Right. I had a I had a manager at one of job and he said that my predecessor was fired because he lost the trust of the thousand volunteers yeah. that he managed and like he was no longer effective in the role and he said I can cover anything for you except when you lose the trust yeah. of your volunteers like that you are no longer effective yeah. and that's what it sounds like here is people are coming to me you've lost effectiveness I can no longer use you in this role if they don't trust you but notice then. Which is what's so interesting. The master commends his actions. Like, so he commends him. That's what it means in, um, in the NIV and NRSV. It says he commends him for acting shrewdly. In our text, it says cleverly. So he's basically going, all right, so the guy who... But it doesn't mean he rehires him. No. But what I'm saying, the commending of what we would think as fraud... He says, wow, that was really clever thinking on your part, on your way out the door as you cooked the books in a way to make sure that you landed safely. But in that text, they do call him dishonest. They do. Here, right. So we don't get it until there. Then we get this idea of, okay, this you're dishonest. dishonest. Does, it, does this mean that the master is still getting what's due and the manager is getting less? Is that what this is saying? Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, we can we can assume from the culture that, and from the response of the master, that what he's done is not illegal. It's not like he hasn't broken his trust or his contract. He just says, "Wow, that was really clever of you." In a really bad situation where there's really no winning here for all of us, that's how I'm reading it, right? And you've made a a clever choice. Now here's the problem. Every, in almost every other instance, when we read the parable of Jesus and there's a master and a servant, the master is always associated with God, Yahweh. So, let me ask you the question now. What can of worms does that open up 
if we buy into that audit, okay, so the master is, is, is God, so then the servant or the household manager would be maybe Israel or something, like, and we start putting the pieces together. What, if, if the master is God, Phil has got the answer here because I can see it on his face. If the master is God, what can of worms does that open? All right. Well, I mean, you kind of give props where props are due, and God's always kind of appreciated that a little. I mean, when Jacob wait, was... Wait, wait, wait. He, he appreciates dishonesty and frauds? Uh, it's, it's the um, uh, the tenacity, the uh, fight for it, the, the right. effort put for it. I mean, when Jacob wrestled, God wouldn't it's let fair. go until he was blessed. You know, he I was, got that. He respected that. Okay. Well, and... I mean, going back to what he did is if he brought it back down to what the master was due, right? He didn't, he didn't harm the master, per se. He also didn't let the master get all of this extra profit that should be going to the manager that is no longer the manager, right? Because that one didn't just go straight to the master. Is this a reference to the priests? I mean, once you start having to assign, so the challenge when we're interpreting Jesus now. So we're now we're looking at the perspective of Jesus. The challenge is when we're interpreting Jesus's parables, you know, we have to really identify the main point that he's making. So parables have a have a point, if you would, it comes alongside to make a point and then maybe an application of that point, if you want to call it that. If we get too caught up in the details, which is our tendency to do, right? We can get too caught up in the details and and kind of miss the point. But I think in this instance, the, the presupposition that the master is God leads to us having to do a whole bunch of mental gymnastics that I don't think were intended by Jesus. Of how can why would God give us an example of a dishonest person to emulate, and or why would God allow that you know approve of that kind of behavior when everywhere else He's like, no, you need to treat, you need to deal fairly with people because you remember this is. This is sandwiched between the parable, we, we skipped chapter 15 because we did it earlier this year, those parables, the parable of the lost, and then coming up Zacchaeus, so you've got this, this idea of how to handle money, right? And Zacchaeus was doing the same thing. He's taking money off the top. All right, so you just have to be careful there. Go ahead. So he's charging more than he needed to charge those people, which is why they lost trust in him, and so to gain the trust, he's making amends back to the people that he harmed. He didn't harm the, the rich man necessarily. He probably harmed all the... So we could see it as that parallel, because we haven't read the, the next storyline, where he, it's just another way he's... he's uh, the, the dishonest manager is making things right with the people he's been taking too much from in the beginning, much like Zacchaeus will do in a minute. Yeah, let's go this way first, and then we'll yeah, because I was reading it as not necessarily the dishonesty being a descriptor of what just happened, but like the previous actions. And so that would be like, oh, I'm commending the sinner of a person because now they did this right. good thing. Yeah. Yeah, Phil? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the problem that I see with that from God's perspective is I don't see you necessarily change the heart of the manager. He's manipulating the situation so he'll come out good. So there's no real heart change if you're looking at it that the master is God. It's just, he's just doing it for his own opinion. 
He's not doing it for the people's gain or the master's gain. He's doing it for himself. So if you take the master's God, I got all kinds of problems. But I also see, like, so if, if you're looking at it from the perspective of there's the manager, he represents the master, he misrepresents the master and potentially charges more than the master needs or deserves, and then the master says, you've, you've shamed me, you haven't represented me well, and the people have turned away from the master because of your actions. They, they have a bad taste in their mouth about God. Then he goes back and changes their perspective towards the master. So it, it's like if you're speaking to the Pharisees, saying you're turning people away from me, not toward me. But then don't like just because you're fired, it doesn't mean you don't have influence. Like go and turn the people back to God. Go and turn the people back to the master. Without yeah. even entrusted. I saw something about just the way the message to me was how you use your wealth and how you manage your wealth. Cause it's Go ahead and read 8 and 9 for us. Is that where you're hitting well, I saw at the end of 4 it said people will welcome me into their houses. And yeah, then, so that's his motivation, right? And then, okay. then at the end of 8 and 9 it's talking about... Uh, read it for us. Okay. I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourself. That when it's So then when it's gone, you will be welcomed into the eternal homes. So 8 and 9 is the key. So that's Jesus. Now speaking, he's giving us the, the here's the alongside. Right? So up through 8a, we have the parable, right? And we, it kind of, the parable kind of stops with the, the manager is commended for his actions. Then Jesus, here's where the, the verses kind of mess us up. Then new thought, new thought. Jesus says in 8, one more time, read a little bit louder. Sure. Master commended the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. Okay, Paul. So that's the end of the parable. Now, Jesus commenting on it. People who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are people who belong to the light. Stop there. So that's number one. What does that mean? Is he saying that um, we have a better chance to connect with those around us than, you know, priests and yeah. the rabbis. It sounds to me like clever is a bad thing in that yeah. situation. Yeah. There, it's just not being associated with people. I think it's because you can meet people where they are. So I, I think when he's renegotiating the contract, he's meeting them where they are. And so it seems like a lot of times believers set themselves so far apart that they can't even relate and they cannot come back and have an influence because they set themselves that far. Okay. The manager was able to invite them to him, like he had relationship because of his dealings, and they were able to come and work out a, a way to resolve the issue. Yeah, he had influence because of his position and his actions. So that's it's interesting that you guys go that direction because I kind of, like I said, I don't know the answer. Not that there is any answer, but I'm not sure I'm clear on the answer. But I've kind of narrowed it down to two, and you guys kind of hit on one of those, which is one one time, one way of interpreting parables is to ask yourself the question, what was what's the good news? Like, because Jesus is presenting the good news, right? So in this situation, what's the good news? Well, at the beginning, we have um, uh, a relationships, a series of broken relationships. And the good news is because of the clever actions of the manager, relationships that were broken have been mended. 
So you could interpret that one of the you know one of the words is okay. Think about when we're thinking about money. Like he says, people in this world are wise with how they use money in this world. But sometimes they miss out on the importance of relationships. So the good news is sometimes. Like, we have to focus on, okay, what's more important? Making money now in the temporal thing and having friends on earth and making sure that we have someone to take care of us on earth, or is it more important to mend relationships and be in relationships with people because ultimately, in the end, that's more value. That is one way to interpret what he's saying. Does that, that, make, yeah. that make sense? Which is brings eight and nine together. It's almost like a juxtaposition in between uh, like a wealth debt and a relational debt. Yes. Because it's like you have this situation where it's like, okay, I need to save face not only for me but my master in this to make everyone look better in this. So these people who have who are indebted to us because they owe us something, I'm going to lessen that debt to help the debt in our relationship that I have created by the way that we've done things. So we're going to say, hey, We've been a little dishonest. This number off the top. Let's go ahead and change that number because we're, we need to build a better relationship with you. So you have what we're left with at the end is you have reconciled relationships and canceled debts. Mm -hmm. So it makes no sense for the owner to pray someone for canceling the debts people owe him. Doesn't make any sense. But he didn't get to celebrate what was coming to him, and yet he celebrated. He was happy. Why? If you're using it to picture God and humanity, you know, God's like, okay, the, the relationship has been reconciled, and that's more important than making money and profit in this world. You'd better, you'd rather be in the right relationship in eternity, invest in those kinds of relationships that will last forever, than being so worried about how your money is going to uh, extend and how you're going to be taken care of on this earth, and so you you do that to, to curry favor with your friends. He's using it as an opposite, right? Don't do that. Store for yourself not treasures on earth, but in heaven, and treasures in relationships, not money. But in the meantime, you can use material wealth yes. to... Yeah, for what, though? For, for the kingdom. Yes. For, but, but if it involves having to right wrongs, you know, like in people's in relationships or something, use it. Correct, because notice what he says there in eight. He's like, it will, it will be gone. Whatever those financial things that you save, one day that will be gone. But he he contrasts that against that which is what in nine, verse nine. That which is you will be welcomed into the eternal. Eternal. So he's like, okay, what are you going to value, right? So don't worry. Another way of saying it is like, don't worry about being a shrewd investor in this age where you can provide a future that will one day be gone. That's important, but don't focus on that, right? Instead, be shrewd and invest by investing in people's lives. And use your resources to do as much good as you can for the glory of God and the eternal good of others, and that will then welcome you. You will be welcomed into the kingdom. That's the way kingdom people live. They're wise as... What? Serpents, is that how it goes? <laughs> Gentle as doves. Yeah. Yeah. What's that language of Jesus? So you're using your you're using your your relational smarts for the kingdom instead of trying to benefit yourself. 
Because the whole section of 15, 16, and into 17 is all about how you're going to handle earthly and worldly things. From the prodigal son, lost coin, all of that, it's all talking about stewardship. But here it seems like he's challenging us to do, to think about those resources. I have one question for us, and I know we're ready. Um, what happens if we lose the eternal perspective on our possessions? What happens? What's the danger? What do we learn from this is the danger of losing our eternal perspective on our possessions. Because the natural thing would be to say, well, if I don't have anything, I don't have to worry about it. Because I don't think that's what Jesus is suggesting, right? That, that being a certain rich man is evil. Ebenezer Scrooge had no relationships. Notice how many people in our lives who have money who, who bemoan the fact that they have, what, no relationships. And no in the universal sense of they're not trusting, they're like people are out to get me, all of this kind of thing. Notice how much of that. And so the danger, one danger, I think you're right, is we don't develop the relationships that we are intended to live within because we're untrusting, we're worried, we're fearful. I don't know what word to go with that. What else? That kind of comes with always dealing with your peers in a clever manner. They're, they're, it's obvious people see that. Sure. <laughs> what are the other dangers? Any other dangers that go with incorrectly thinking about our possessions? Distraction. I mean, pers personal testimony for me, my, my job previous to this paid me reasonably well. But it was at the cost of relationship with my family because I spent more time going after a paycheck rather than taking care of my family. And that was five years that I won't get back with my family, right? And that's so, inherent in this, potentially an inherent strain, right? So it's, it's not just the focus on the money piece, it's okay, because I'm distracted by the money piece, there are other actions that are gonna follow that because it's what I am seeking after. Right. And so my focus, my focus needed to change from okay, yes, I need to provide, I need to get money, I need to get all this stuff, to I need to provide for my family in the relational piece, too. And it, was, and it was one of the big catalysts for us making the big change that we did moving to Texas right. and getting a different job and all that, because the, the focus needed to shift. Thank you for sharing as he holds his... Somebody over here wants A few? Uh, I was thinking, uh, the, this past week I got to read... Uh, the, 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 I can't pronounce it. Anyway, in Deuteronomy, it's, it's the beginning of Deuteronomy because we're almost finished with the, the Hebrew uh, year. Uh, it, it talks about in the Shema, you know, the Lord our God, the Lord is one and only. And it talks, he talks about all these things uh, of, you know, I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I have given you the power to get wealth. But I am, I am the one that's doing it. Don't forget me. And and uh, so that it, it's one of those that we should not be afraid to have material possessions. Remember that God is the one that gave it to us, and we are the conduits to right. be able to yeah. give out to whomever needs it and, and stuff like yeah. that. We are in this picture. We are the household manager. Right? We're the ones who have been given the responsibility to steward 
the money. Like so, we talk about um, bringing your tithes and your offerings. We don't talk about giving. Why don't we talk about giving? For transitioning to somebody who's been with me for the whole twenty years. Why don't we talk about giving? It implies you own it. Giving implies ownership. We don't own, so we bring a portion back to of that which God. So we're not giving something that's already to us. That's stinginess, right? You talk about people about giving. Oh man, something that's mine. I got to give. No, it's not yours to start with. So we begin there, right? And we talk about that's important to keep that relationship. Yeah. The saying "money doesn't buy happiness" keeps coming to mind. Um, when you think of all the people that that we look from the outside into their worlds, and they seem like they've got everything, but yeah. but any, everything but joy in life, and they, they take their own lives, or you know, some, it, there's that negative piece of it too, and that's the danger. And asking the question, what's the danger? Well, that's, is that you cut off relationships. That's where it's fun when, when you realize that the Lord gave you whatever you have. You're like, I, I have lots of stuff, but it just, I, I am over the moon when somebody says that they need something, and I got it. I can help with that. I got it. I'll amazing? give it to you. And all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, it, and, and that's what God wants yeah, for us to do. I was just gonna say you could ask any lawyer how quickly relationships dissolve when stuff or money gets involved. Every will is so essential because families can fall apart because of stuff. It's so sad that we get so hard. All right, good work, good work, excellent. All right, so hard work. It's always hard. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Table Dallas podcast. We invite you to join the conversation at one of our upcoming tables. To learn more about us, please check out our website at thetabledallas.com. And remember, we're saving a seat for you at the table.